My friends, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 208. And uh, today we're talking to Matthew DiStefano about his one of his latest books called Don't Be a Dick. I feel like you can't just say like the title like monotonely, like don't be a dick. You have to say it with some oomph on it, right? Like don't be a dick. And uh, other sound advice, 69 practical ways of making the world a kinder, more loving place. I talk about it in the episode, but the book made me laugh. Like every chapter, every section had something in there that made me laugh uh, because Matthew has a, he has a really great sense of humor, uh, which you'll see in the episode. But uh, it really made me laugh. I was sitting with my daughter on the couch. She was on her iPad. I was reading the book and I'm laughing. She's like, Daddy, what are you laughing at? I'm like, well, this book is funny. She's like, my books aren't funny. I'm like, well, my book is. <laughs> this book is funny. And uh, at the end of the day, what this book is, like I said, it's funny. It's going to make you laugh. Uh, but when you laugh, it makes you think about like really obvious things. Like It's divided into three sections, uh, how to not be a dick at home, um, at work, in your, oh, four sections, sorry, at home, uh, at work, your community, and online. And like every every section has like things in there that most of us do <laughs> often that are really like terrible things, like even simple things like put away the shopping cart when you're done with it. Why? Because why can I just leave wherever I want to? Because what if there's somebody that needs it who has trouble walking, right? What if there's somebody who needs it who who's in a rush because they have a parent at home who's sick and they got they got it. all these different things like just put the card away for crying out loud if you don't put it away then you make somebody else who works there have to go and get it and clean up your mess just put the cart back in the thing like what's the big deal don't don't microwave fish in the in the in the break room you know simple things that we do that are obvious but we don't always think about and uh, there's so many things in the in the book that I was reading I'm like oh like I know people that I, I should give this book to, but then I would read things. I'm like, oh, I, I do this. <laughs> I do this. I need to do less of this. So really good stuff from Matthew coming up. He's going to come on again uh, soon. He has a new book coming out with um, Michelle Collins. And so I'm going to get either one or both of them on. I'm not really sure, but he'll be on again in the not so distant future. But uh, this is a really good book, good episode, good conversation. So buckle up and enjoy. Uh, head over to uh, the show notes. You'll see the links there for the book. Also, my book, Rethinking Everything, uh, kind of my spiritual journey from this world of fundamentalism, funta, funta, no, fundamentalism, black and white thinking into a great wide uh, world of color that I'm in now. So I'll put that link in the show notes. It's available on Amazon because it's self-published by yours truly. I wrote it. I edited it. I published it. I designed the cover. I did <laughs> I did it all. It was a one-man show uh, just because I wanted to pump it out and get it out there uh, for my birthday in January, my 40th birthday. So anyway, that's a little bit of the background of the book. We have some new people. I should say really quick. We have new people that have been listening to the podcast. If you're one of those new people, uh, welcome. I've seen an uptick in downloads over the last uh, three or four weeks, which tells me more people are listening, which is a great thing. Uh, if you're wondering what in the world this is, uh, <laughs> at the podcast, we ask the question, we explore the question, what if? What if there are ways of thinking about God and faith and the Bible and Jesus and all the things that are, are different than what our traditions have handed us? And so if you're like me, you come from a, I come from an evangelical world, very black and white thinking, very conservative, very fundamentalist. There's one way to think, one way to believe. If you don't believe it, there's the door, and outside that door is hell. That's where you're going for all of eternity. Uh, so that's where I, that's kind of how I grew up. And uh, if that's how you grew up, I'm sorry, but I, I understand. I, I've been there. But we explore this question, like, what if that's wrong, right? What if there are other ways to think, other ways to believe that are just much different uh, than those ways? And so we have people on who are authors, scholars, teachers to explore uh, this stuff. Like next week, we're having David Brackey, on the show. He's a, uh, a, a professor at uh, Ohio State University. He's coming on to talk to us about the gospel of Judas, this forbidden gospel that was deemed heretical, paints Judas as the good guy, and kind of tells the story from a much different point of view. So he's coming on the show next week to talk to us about that. Uh, we talk about LGBTQ inclusion. We talk about hell. We talk about all the things 
on this show. We, we try to turn over every stone, <laughs> all the forbidden stones. We turn over and uh, we, we check them out. So anyway, I'll put all the links to my stuff in the show notes uh, or you can go to Patreon, buy me coffee if you want to support the show. Uh, my social media links, just look me up on Facebook, Twitter, all the places I'm out there in the cyber world uh, doing things. <laughs> anyway, all that to say, I'm going to shut up. It was nice to meet you. Nice to talk to you. Welcome. Uh, this is my conversation with Matt Mastew. What is going on? What is happening right now? I just got my oil changed and it wasn't, it was good. Everything went well, but it always gives me anxiety to go there because I have an older car. And so I was sitting there like tapping my foot waiting. Please, God, please, if you're listening, if you're real, God, please don't let there be any problems with my car. Everything was good. So anyway, that's it. Now I'm really done. Matthew DiStefano, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, the legend, the man, the myth, the legend. Enjoy the show. Later. I've been busy searching for you, yeah. Trying to figure out if it's true, true. Don't think that I've been played by a fool, yeah. This mind don't buy, don't play by the rules I'm gon' make sure that I play my cards right Intuition gave me signs that everything is alright Contemplating all my moves, I'm in a fight Under pressure, feel the walls, I'm moving in, it's getting tight the shuffle getting real I hope it lives on something good I'm all in for the kill Sometimes it's getting kinda scary I'm here for the thrill Decisions on top of decisions Like I chose a pill The bottle getting kinda empty Temptations made us presence in the air It's kinda tempting Shortcuts after question But it got on my attention Uh-oh and I forgot but did I mention Looks like I won the game Made my decision I listen Hey everybody, welcome back to the show Today we're sitting down with the legendary Matthew DiStefano to talk about his book, uh, Don't Be a Dick, along with some other hot topics as well. Who knows where the conversation will go? So Matthew, welcome to the coolest place in town next to the Heretic Happy Hour, of course. Uh, it's great to finally have you on the show. Well, that, that goes, thanks thanks for having me, first of all. That just goes without saying. I mean, everything. <laughs> if you say it's the greatest place to be, it's obviously with, with, an, uh, with the fact in mind that... Um, that's second only to the Heretic Happy Hour. I, I'm kidding, of course. Glenn, thank you for having me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We've been wanting to do this for a while. I feel like we've, feel like I hit you up a while ago and then it like never happened. Like other things happened and I don't know. But thank you for reaching back out and saying, hey, let's let's make this happen. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me on this lovely Tuesday afternoon where you're at, morning where I'm at. For sure. So first things first, since you're first time on the show, uh, tell us a little bit about, about you. you know, who are you when you're not writing books? but not being a dick and other things. Uh, what do you do? <laughs> Give us the kind of the snapshot of Matt. Uh, well, I mean, so I'm married. I've been married for 17 years. I have a daughter who is going to be 12 this year. I have been doing social work jobs for off and on for like sev- 17 years. I, I worked in juvenile hall. I've worked in group homes. And now I do service coordination for uh, elderly and disabled folks. Um. What else do I do? I How is really... that work? How is that work? Is that rewarding work? Is it? Well, it isn't. It isn't. I mean, it's like I always like, you know, when I talk to young social workers and they have aspirations and dreams to like save the world, it's yeah, always yeah. it's like, I mean, at this point, I'm not I'm not cynical, but at the same time, like it is. Um, I'll say this, the the stock company line is we don't pay you that well because it's really rewarding work and we hope that that's why you do it. And it's like, uh, yeah, that gets old after a while when you're in California and things are really expensive. Right. And, you know, Sounds like make... the church. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was very much I was, when I was told that by one company, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm back in church again. Um, <laughs> but it, it isn't. It is and it isn't like like anything. It's a job, mm-hmm. but there are moments where you are rewarded um, in terms of like, you know, when you think about how you've helped other people who wouldn't yeah. otherwise have help. Um, it's it's nice. It's just, you know, it's like anything. Like I said, it, it turns into a job. And once you do it long enough, it's like it's not necessarily my passion, but I do like it. Gotcha. Um, and in addition to work and everything, you know, I, I, I love gardening. I'm a Tolkien nerd. I uh, I like hiking and biking and I like European football. Awesome. And how many books have you written now? I think I like I lost track. I, I really don't. I have two. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think it's like eight, eight or nine, something eight like nine. that. And I've been in, I've been involved in other projects and contributed for other books. So yeah. you have another one in the works? 
I have many in the works. Many in yeah. the works, not just yeah. one. <laughs> one I'm really excited about is uh, called The Wisdom of Hobbits. So it's a book on Tolkien and, and hobbits. And I know if I remember correctly, you have not read Tolkien. So um, shame. I, I bestow shame upon you. Sorry. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> don't apologize to me. To apologize to the professor. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, so I'm excited about that book. I, mm -hmm. It's funny because... <laughs> I've written a bunch of theology books mm -hmm. and I, of course, tried to make them, um, you know, stand up to scrutiny and a level of scholarship and all that. And I, I, I write popular books, so I'm not writing academia because I don't have any interest in that field, but sure. uh, or in that world. But I'm actually more nervous about getting Tolkien right and getting uh, my interpretation of him correctly. Really? Uh, in this book than I have been in any other theological book. Yeah. Really? So you're afraid like of the, if you get something wrong, will there be like heat from the fan, the fan club? Um, I don't, I mean, it's not, I mean, like with anything, there's toxicity within any fan bases. Yeah. But I just, I respect that world so much and the world gotcha. that he created so mm -hmm. much that I don't, I don't want to fuck it up. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I would, <laughs> I would rather have, this, you know, I would rather face the wrath of God than the scorn of Tolkien. <laughs> but you can put that on a meme. <laughs> that's, that's, that should go on a t-shirt or something. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, but any, I think any Tolkien like uh, aficionado would probably be like, yeah, I, I get where he's coming from. You know, you it's, it's not that Tolkien was like rude or anything, but just like, just have that much level of respect for him. So gotcha. I just want to, I want to get this book right. Gotcha. So as somebody who has like no experience with this world, other than I've seen the movies, Right. I think yeah. I think the movies, I feel like I got the movies were so long. I feel like I got lost yeah. in the movies yeah. and I feel like I got all the worlds like just very confused, all the names, things like that. So I think I just lost interest. If I were to pick yeah. up the books, is there like a place to begin? Because I know there's like the, the pre stuff, like the Hobbit stuff. I know there's the the main storyline. Like, is there a certain place to begin or do you just jump mm. in? And everyone's going to have their own opinion on that. Like Star Wars. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. I I mean, The Hobbit's the easiest to read. It's more uh, along the lines of, um, I say it tentatively, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's more of a like a children's-ish book than The Lord okay. of the Rings would be. Mm -hmm. The Lord of the Rings is going to be more like traditional high fantasy, and it's going to have a lot of that backstory and a lot of things like that. And then, um, so the, the Hobbit would be a good place to start. Um, it's easier read and it's shorter and quicker. Mm -hmm. um, and the writing style is, the prose is different. But I mean, in The Lord of the Rings, if you could... <laughs> You could read like four pages and all, all Tolkien has done is described like the mountain off to the left. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, so it could be it could be a bit of a, of a slow burner, but that's I mean, that's why I like it. But that's what is, can be a put off for some people. So I guess I would start with The Hobbit. OK, well, I will make note of that and we'll see if I if I do it, I will let you know you'll be the first one I let know. Well, I appreciate that. Glenn. Ab absolutely. So uh, I'm really interested and you might have a lot to say or you might have a little bit to say. I don't know. But I'm interested in a few of our listeners have actually um, asked me too because they knew you were coming on the show, but maybe hearing a little bit about your, like your spiritual journey. So maybe before we talk yeah. about the book, we could start there because most of our listeners are, you know, the ex-evangelicals, they grew up in the evangelical world, some more fundamentalists than others. But I'm kind of yeah. curious, like where, what was your upbringing like regarding, you know, God and faith and the church and the Bible? And then what led you to that? I guess your personal evolution where you've kind of become one of those voices that the ex-evangelical people look to, to the point where I saw that you were included on one of those memes going around with faces yeah. on it of the wolves I, clothing. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was a footnote. I was in an amendment. So that yeah, was so nice. I think you and I are on the same one. I think somebody added. Are we? Oh, good. Both of us. Yeah. I'm well, off to the left of you. <laughs> oh, right. I don't, I mean, I generally don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. People <laughs> it's, it's fun to see it go around. You know, I, I've seen, um, like the church signs that my buddy Adam Erickson does. Yes. I've seen, I've seen those go viral and mine is um, the atheist one has gotten some traction. It's like, everywhere. yeah, it's, it's been shared. Yeah. So those are things are kind of fun, but yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm glad we're on the same team there. Um, yeah. So I have a, um, I'm not trying to like shamelessly plug this, but mm -hmm. I do have a book with Michelle Collins called learning to float coming out July 5th. Okay. Um, where it is my kind of, it's my story, but it's done 
it's done through a kind of sitting down and talking with a friend who happens to be she's getting her psychology doctorate. Okay. Um, so it's got that sort of like talking to your therapist vibe in a way, mm -hmm. but it's really just two friends chatting and we kind of go through my whole story. Um, I mean, I was raised like in a typical evangelical context. Um, you know, Protestant, mm -hmm. we believed in the rapture, we believed in hell, we believed in the inerrancy of scripture. Uh, we believed in that, you know, LGBTQ was, you know, not ideal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's putting it mildly. <laughs> Did I say it euphemistically? It's not <laughs> ideal here. Um, and, but I always had like these like burning questions from the time I was little, mm -hmm. like, and I had a lot of nightmares and a lot of um, trauma that was associated with my doctrines. You know, my grandfather, my, my grandfather and my grandmother, you know, as most Mediterranean people are, him being Portuguese, my grandmother being Sicilian, like you're de facto Catholic, right? Mm -hmm. um, even if you're not practicing. So he was pretty agnostic. And I was, um, I was always terrified that he was going to hell. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I was terrified that I was going to hell as well. So there was a lot of trauma that it was kind of like undergirding my faith. Mm -hmm. And I feel like looking back, all of my involvement with the church, whether I was because I played multiple instruments, so I was leading worship and Bible studies and going on retreats and all that kind of stuff. I feel like it was like try, trying really, really hard to earn my salvation. And they would not say it like that, right? Salvation is by grace alone, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. But I mean, the reality of it was that I was trying really hard to prove that I was right with God. Yeah. And then it just didn't work any longer. So in my 20s and, you know, my, well, my late teens and my early 20s, I, I started to have and ask deeply existential questions to my pastors and, and they were really dismissive, mm -hmm. uh, which was unfortunate because I was close with them. Like I was good friends with like the pastor's kids. And, you know, I knew these people uh, for years and years and years. And then it dawned on me, like, the relationships that were formed in the church, the basis of them were not relational. They were doctrinal. Yeah. So the minute you, the minute, I mean, everyone listening is probably like, yeah, I felt that too. You know, like I've experienced <laughs> that too, uh, but it's so true. It's like one after another, one person after another realizes that as they start to ask questions and, you know, we use the analogy in the book of like, or it's like in Kafka's metamorphosis, when the main character turns into a beetle, his family pretends eventually that he just doesn't exist, right? They yeah. just, and it's sort of that as you transform into this grotesque thing, and, and that's what they see you as, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, either an atheist or an agnostic or a backslidden Christian or a heretic or a heathen or an apostate, yeah. whatever the word is. Whatever label is it going to be? Label the day. <laughs> exactly. The, the label du jour, the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's a good one. Classic. Yeah. Um, you become kind of this monster that no one wants to acknowledge and you know so i've always been vocal i've always been in that way like i'm going to express myself you kind of kind of know where i stand and so that just continued on as i left the church as i discovered uh other people who were you know asking these questions but other scholars who were also giving a lot better answers than my pastors were about mm -hmm. you know why is there so much suffering in the world? If God is so good, how does, you know, all the, you know, the deeply existential yeah. questions we ask, it was like, oh, wow, there's a whole theological world out there that my church never told me about. Yeah. You know, so God doesn't necessarily have to be some tyrant in the sky, you know, mm -hmm. lo and behold, there's a lot of healthy theology out there. And that's when it was, you know, down the rabbit hole. And as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. I think that piece that you said about like things became, things become more doctrinal than they do relational is something I so many people can relate to and I know myself for sure because I feel like and I've said this before that like when I started like deconstructing and asking questions and started this podcast it was like so many people that I had I thought were deep relationships with like I had people that I knew for 15 20 25 years go in my dms and say some of the most horrible things to me and I'm like they I said to my wife like did these people love me or they just love what I believed and what I used to teach from the mm -hmm. pulpit, because I feel like I'm the same person. Like I still have the same blood pumping through my body, the same heart, the same everything. But, you know, my, my, my mind has changed about some things, but now all of a sudden these people who 
I, I've sat around tables and cried with about life and about things. Like all of a sudden it's like, I'm this person who's cast out and I'm thrown away and it just feels mm-hmm. like crap. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard not to be cynical at that point. Did they, yeah. Did they love me or did they love the fact that I played guitar right. and drums and, you know, I could set up, you know, I could be there on Sunday. I could be there Sunday afternoon. I could be there Sunday evening. I could be there Wednesday. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, the line from the office. Do you, do you love her? Or do you love the idea of her? Right. You know? so right. It's like you start to realize, I don't think they loved me or cared about me. I think it was, I mean, the cynic in me, it's like numbers for the coffers and, you know, yep. filling, you know, so, and, you know, at least cynical, at least it's more like, yeah, we just, we want people there who can like validate what we believe. And the yep. more that are there that validates that, the better, the better validation they have. Yeah, that's right. Now you have a daughter, right? Right. You said, how old is she? Did you say, I think you said that earlier. she's 11. She's 11. So just out of curiosity, if you don't, if you don't mind going down this road, like what do faith conversations look like with her? And I'm thinking about that because my daughter is five. And so I've got a little ways to go before she's right. uh, her age, but she's starting kindergarten in the fall. And like, my mind is reeling with like, what are conversations going to look like with her, especially she begins being with other kids, other families We live in the South, but like, I want her, I don't want her to know. I want her to know what I believe or what I, what I think I believe. It feels like it changes (laughs) on the daily sometimes, but I also don't want her to feel like, I don't want to, I don't want her to feel like she has to like, believe what I believe. But at the same time, I want her to know this is what daddy believes, mommy believes, but there's other ways to leave as well. So I'm just curious, like what have yeah. those conversations look like with your daughter in your home? There's been less conversation about like those sort of things than, than probably, you know, most people would be comfortable with. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, she asks some really good questions. So she's a lot like me in terms yeah. of like, like her prying and, um, you know, like if my, my wife and daughter, if they bicker like and i'm scoring from the sidelines sometimes in my head i'm like oh man like my daughter's like kind of getting the once over on her so she's very like she's very philosophical and and all those sort of things but we we don't really i just we don't really talk about like the theologies or the beliefs as much as we do about like how to be like a good human being and what to stand for in practical ways. And so she's like, like she, she is like a woman's rights activist in her own school. Like, okay. like this last, uh, at the end of the year party, cause she's, you know, she's going to junior high mm-hmm. next year, which is crazy to me. Um, but so they have this like trip to the lake and mm-hmm. right. Um, boys are allowed to not have their shirts on because they're going to be at the lake, but girls have to wear a one piece. Mm-hmm. So my, bro- my, my, my daughter goes to the school and explains to them why this is unfair and why there's a double standard between boys. So she's that like, she's that at 11. I'm like, <laughs> she's a minute. Okay. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a problem at some point, but awesome at the same time. Like, right. You know, so we're going to, we're probably going to have calls from places that are like, Hey, your daughter's, I mean, she's doing the right thing. Correct. Right. right. But, but it's still, it's like, she's, she's challenging the status quo in the system. And, yeah. And and that was like a proud parenting moment of like she gets it mm-hmm. in terms of how to be a human and it and for for us it's been like a lot of not talking to her about beliefs but just like putting into action what's important like she is a hundred percent an LGBTQ activist and mm-hmm. she doesn't fuck with anyone who isn't that like she's yeah. like her foot down you either you either you know it's acceptance or or bust you know what I mean yeah. and so you know I I appreciate that about her so um. I'm sure that the discussions about, I mean, we've had discussions about God. Sure. And it's a lot of like, I don't know, but the closest thing I can think of is I experience God when I experience love yeah. and compassion for other people. Yeah. And that seems to have satisfied. And to me, it's like my goal, and I heard Rob Bell say this years ago, my goal is to have her undo as little as possible when she becomes an adult. And, and I feel like most of my problems and my wife's problems in terms of like theology and beliefs and trauma that stems from it is, is all this shit that we've had to undo. Yep. Um, so it's like, okay, I might not be able to give her all the answers, but as long as she doesn't have to undo all of them, yep. then I think we've, we've had a, uh, a successful go at things. 
Yeah, that's what I feel too. I was talking to my wife the other night. I was saying like, I feel like we've, we've picked up so much trauma in our, in our lives from the church and theology. And yeah. I can remember like crying myself to sleep as a kid because I was afraid like either I was going to go to hell or everybody that I love was going to go to hell. And should I be evangelizing right. my parents? Like all these different kinds of things, you know? And I'm like, at least we, I'm sure we're going to do a lot of things wrong, but at least like that's one thing she's not going to have to deal with is trying to right. untangle this stuff that we've preached to her and like tried to make her believe. So I feel like at least run some kind of right track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, just, uh, yeah. Like you said, we're not going to get it perfect. We're not going to get it right. hundred yeah. percent of the time. Yeah. But I think, you know, in doing that, I think that's a blessing too, because sure. you know, a lot of traditional quote unquote old school parenting is like, you're always right. Yeah. But I love the new model or at least a new model of like, yo, I, I messed that one up. I'm sorry. And that's like super powerful for a kid. Like, yep. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you're correct. I, I totally messed that one up. Yeah. Like, okay, well, that's the end of that power struggle. So we're good. <laughs> you yeah. know, move on and learn yeah. from it, right? Yeah. And you can do that when they're young too. Cause I mean, just, I mean, the totally. other day, uh, my daughter did something and I was just having a day and I just lost my patience and I was just not very patient with her at all. And later on, I went to her and I said, um, I said, you know, I said, daddy, I'm sorry. I said, daddy was not patient before. I have a lot of things in my mind today. And I'm sorry, because that's okay, daddy, I forgive you. But I think just going to there and just, you know, admitting that you were wrong in something also gives her the freedom to admit that too down the road when she makes mistakes. So, oh, yeah. As my medic creatures, yeah, totally, 100%. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, your book, uh, Don't Be a Dick, um, Other Sound Advice, you give 69 practical ways to be a better human. And yeah. uh, I laughed in every page, to be honest with you. Okay, that's, <laughs> because the, that's the goal. That's I was goal. sitting there with my daughter on the couch and I was reading it and I was laughing. She's like, why are you laughing at that book, daddy? <laughs> it was funny. Uh, really made me think about a lot of stuff. So for our listeners, there's four sections, right? There's don't be a dick to your family, uh, coworkers, community. And the last one is, what's the last one? Online. On, on, online. Probably the most important one yes, <laughs> in, these, ex- in, these, in these days. <laughs> exactly. So first of all, why this book? Like why, why write a book? about not being a dick? Is this like all the people Um, you've encountered that made you want to write this book? Or what was the main reason? (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I say in the introduction, like this book is, it's, it's for myself. Like, I I mean, there's, there's times when I'm a dick and we always had a joke in in our, (laughs) um, you know, we signed off our show, the bonfire sessions, which is now a retired podcast. Um, but we say, just don't be a dick. This is our advice. Like, (laughs) um, so I was like, well, why don't I just write a, why don't I just write a book called that? And like, I mean, it kind of stems from this, like I, I deconstructed hell, I deconstructed the Bible, I, all these things, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm no longer afraid of God. I, I'm, I, I don't plan on dying tomorrow, but I'm not afraid to die. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, so now what? If, if, if the evangelical message is nothing I'm interested in, if, uh, you know, then, then what, what now though? Yeah. Um, it's fun to talk theology and but it's all, all kind of ivory towerish at times unless mm-hmm. we're doing practical things. So it's like but at the same time like let's balance the fact that we cannot I can't fix the climate crisis. You know, I you know, so but what can I do in my community in my little small corner of the world on a day-to-day basis to make myself happier, my family happier, my coworkers happier and just everyone a better, you know, a better better place, right? For everyone yeah. that lives there. So that's it's just practical, I mean, you know, just practical things on and try to write it. You know, I try to write it comedically. And so I'm, I'm really happy. That's the best uh, thing I've ever heard is that you laughed because <laughs> um, it was supposed to be funny and self-deprecating and get you. But also get you to think and be like, OK, if I if I just implement a couple of those things in my day to day and it becomes routine and ritualistic, then great. You know, if I'm more conscious about, you know, my shopping cart, it's, it's just mundane things. Like if I'm more conscious about, you know, making my coworkers have a better experience in the office or making my community cleaner and, and less full of clutter. Great. Yeah. That, 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 that's the motivation behind it. Yeah. And I mean, in the book, I mean, it's, it's like you said, it's like, it's obvious things. I mean, but it's things right. you might not always think of, you know, like you said about putting the shopping cart back because after I read the book, I don't always notice those kind of things. But like when I, after I read that part of the book, I went to the grocery store a couple of days ago and I saw yeah. people just leaving their carts. I'm like, these jerks. <laughs> Even they get just put yeah, the cart I mean, back in the thing. <laughs> there's a great, uh, I think it's a YouTube channel where the guy just finds people who aren't putting their shopping cart backs and then like puts like magnets on their car, big flag that says like, I'm a jerk. I don't <laughs> return fantastic. my shopping cart. And they get, a, I was like, well, that that's looking to, you're looking to get punched in the face, but right. you know, 
I took a different approach, but I think the point being like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and and you think it's you think it's simple, and you think it's just stupid to like make a big deal about it, but I, you know, I work with people who have cerebral palsy, who can't walk around as well as able-bodied people can. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm taking him to the grocery store and there's a shopping cart in the stall mm-hmm. that's close to the store, either I have to get out or I have to find a a, a, a spot further away. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, I'm trying to find a close spot for him so that he doesn't have to walk too far. Yeah. But by just you doing that stupid little thing and not putting your cart back, now you've inco- you know you've inconvenienced you've inconvenienced this person who who may you know may trip because they're too tired or whatever. Yeah. Or or you may come across someone who you know you mentioned the other day you were not having a great day. Mm-hmm. You don't know where someone's at, so one little thing like that might just set them off to where they're having a horrible horrible day. Yeah. And. and I just I don't want to be responsible for that. So it's like I'm going to do my part to like not be in people's way, not you know. <laughs> I'll st- I'll challenge the system and the status quo and everything like that, but it's like the day-to-day, I don't want I don't want to be the person in line, you know, who who gets who has like eight people behind him cuz I'm doing whatever, you know. So yeah, yeah. just that's kind of what the motivation is there. Yeah. The one that got me the one one that had me laughing was um was one about the workplace and you're talking about the like the break room about like uh-huh. lunch and stuff in the break room. I was thinking back when I worked at Apple, there was this guy, it was like maybe, I don't know, eight years ago, he'd always bring fish in and <laughs> he would like put it in the microwave to warm it up. You yeah. never put fish in the microwave. And at Apple, no. like we obviously can't open windows because the break room is like cement walls because it's all, all the computers are back there, everything else. So it's all yeah. high security, everything else. So it would just stink for days after you'd yeah. stick fish and, and broccoli in there. It's like, just not a, not a very thoughtful <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> yeah, so funny, um, I mean, yeah, yeah, go ahead. yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. I'm just in the book. I just, the funny thing is that they did the same thing with fish and broccoli, but people did it out of play right. and they were, they were opening it up Tupperware full of fish and broccoli at a play. Like I was like, what the, f-? in a small little theater house, right? <laughs> Who does like, that? What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> That's like going to the movie theater and popping open some fish. It's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I made some salmon from yesterday. What? Right. Stop it. <laughs> so of these uh, 69 practical ways, which uh, one, two, three, whatever, have you wrestled with the most in your own life, your own journey? Like, which one of these is like, when you were writing, it was like, oh yeah, this is something that I've really I got um, had to handle in my life or maybe I've got to get a handle on whatever. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so one of them is using the laugh emoji mockingly on Facebook. <laughs> Um, I realized how much of a dick move that is. And I used to do it. Yeah. Like if someone says something stupid, you know, and you can laugh. I mean, by all means, laugh behind your computer screen, but just mm-hmm. don't like mockingly do that. I, yeah. I, I think it's so um, aggravating. And I'm sure the person on the other end is quite aggravated too. And you're not yeah. like, what's the point at that point? Because you're not communicating at that point. You're just laughing in someone's face. So yeah. that is definitely one that I put in the book that I have not done since mm-hmm. and, and, and won't do. And mm-hmm. so I've made a point not to do that. Um, another one, it, um, some of the parenting things, um, using lines like, because I said, um, that's a power dynamic that I mm-hmm. will uh, refuse to get into with uh, our daughter. Um, and she's older now, so it's like you kind of have to use logic. And because sure. I said, she's just going to roll her eyes at me and laugh. And Please, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, you better come up with something better than that. Um, so... Um, in, in all of the parenting things, um, it's through the lens of, uh, of a power with dynamic. Mm-hmm. And so instead of a power over dynamic, and forgive me, I don't have the social worker's name who came up with uh, this kind of model of thinking, um, but we base our relationships and our power dynamics as a power with rather than a power over. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the examples I use in the parenting section of the family section, um, parenting specifically, um, once I've learned that model, mm-hmm. I've had to make sure that I'm always using that model when it comes to parenting. I think that's a, the parenting section gave me a lot of things to think about, just the whole family section, because even, even like, do you have a piece in there about um, like arguing with your spouse or significant other, your partner, whatever, mm. like about not treating it like, a, like you're an MMA fighter. Like you're just gonna like go at yeah. them because you know, the, the kids are watching how you deal with yeah. those kind of things. I think, even if my wife and I have like a disagreement of some sorts, just to model that well for our daughter, I think is so important because I think it will 
that only help her in her own interactions, but even as she grows and she has relationships with people, like she'll be yeah. able to have like a better model at home. Yeah, I think if you have the type of relationship where you can model age appropriate disagreements, I think yeah. that's fantastic. I mean, obviously, some things need to be behind closed doors. Sure. Um, but you know, your daughter's five. So what you and your wife discuss or disagree with in front of her would be a lot different than, you know, my kid at 11. And, yeah. you know, likewise, when they're 16, 17. Yeah, uh, as long as it's age appropriate, I think I think that can be a very healthy because they're going to they're going to have disagreements with people as they yep. go on their life. Yeah, that's right. So as I made my way through the book, a question that kind of came to my mind, and I want to know what you think of this. But at what point and I realize you're, you're a social worker, not not a, not a therapist, but mm -hmm. at what point do you think that therapy needs to enter the picture or the conversation mm -hmm. when it comes to addressing like your own dickishness, as you call it in the book? Yeah. And I ask that because, you know, a lot of stuff you address in the book. I think it can come from or maybe stem from like unresolved issues that people may right. have like childhood issues, yeah. relational, you know, wounds, baggage, whatever. But I think we try to bury them and then mm -hmm. they get out of control and they grow. And it's been my experience that in my own therapy sessions that although I can make a list of 69, 100, 200 things, whatever, to be less of this kind of a person, if I'm not dealing with that root issue, it's just a bandaid on a much bigger Problem. Right. So I was wondering as I was reading, like, what, what, what are your thoughts on that topic? Um, that's a good point. Um, I think any time of most of our dickish behavior is a symptom of something. Yeah. So I would say that I'm of the belief. And yeah, like you said, I'm a non-clinical social worker, mm -hmm. but I, I'm of the belief that mm, if I had to put a percentage on it, 95% of us should be in therapy. <laughs> so I think anyone yeah. um and in the, and i think the reason we we don't well for one probably like i think a lot of toxic masculinity you know people mm -hmm. men especially will do a lot of shit before they do therapy yeah um and, and just the stigma stigma the stigma that that going to therapy has still in our in our society i i would say anyone who has any trauma from their childhood or otherwise should be in therapy mm -hmm. i think it can only benefit um people i think that sometimes like you said we bury it in such a way that we don't even know what we don't know yet about yeah. ourselves and yeah. and what is what what our body has held on to mm -hmm. in terms of trauma and maybe abuse or whatever yeah. so yeah i would say that any anyone who has you know if like let's say as a kid anyone who has been through you know a divorce with their parents the church, um, anyone who is LGBTQ has probably suffered trauma. Yeah. Um, most most racial minorities probably have suffered some sort of trauma. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, a lot of men have suffered a lot of trauma and and should be in therapy. Um, mm -hmm. Probably have to emphasize with men more often because of how you know, like I said, how men typically are the ones that shove shit down and, yeah. and, and then turn around and probably are more abusive towards other people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyone. And so once you get to a percentage, you're probably at 95% of us should be in therapy <laughs> yeah. and, and there should be no shame or guilt uh, for going to therapy. It's, it's only going to, I think it's only going to make you a better person if you find, you know, the right therapist and someone that you work well with. Yeah. And I think it's hard to, I think it's hard for people coming out of, out of that evangelical world to go into therapy. Cause I know for mm. myself, like even thinking, like as a, when I was a pastor, like I remember thinking to myself, I could probably use somebody to talk to, but really being afraid that if I, if anybody knows I'm going to therapy, if anybody knows I'm talking to a counselor, a therapist, whatever, it's almost like you're, there's something wrong with your faith, you know, because mm. like you, if you just pray and you just read your Bible, like Jesus is your therapist, you know, and, yeah. and the Holy Spirit helps you dissect those things. You don't need the help of another person, but if you do, they better be a Christian therapist because they've got to have the right, you know, biblical mechanics, you know, to kind of help yeah. you through your stuff. And so I think like, even, even like when I, when I think, when I thought about in the past, like just in the last few, three or four years, like talking to a therapist, like it's very, like those thoughts linger in the back of my mind, just like those accusational voices that if you just would get your act together spiritually, you would be fine. And mm. that's, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, I wish I could just simply say that's not true and that would help people, but it's <laughs> it's just simply not. I mean, I mean, if it if it were true, there wouldn't be so much evidence that the church needs more therapy than any entity, yeah. <laughs> or as much as en- any entity. It's like, right. okay, if that's true, show me the church that is functioning and uh, doing well, and everyone is addressing their traumas and not displaying toxic behaviors. Sure. Or, you know, it's like, okay, well... Now it's obviously evidence that you do need therapy in light of all this prayer and stuff that you're doing. And yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer that if, if Jesus was sitting in on this conversation, I don't think he would be like, yeah, no, just talk to me and you'll be fine. No, he'd be like, you know, no, go see a therapist. That's what they do. That's what they do. They have education. They're there to help you. Yeah. I've been watching you and you definitely need to talk to somebody. <laughs> That's what he would say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Probably some snarky. Yeah. No, I mean, you definitely need therapy. Dude. That's right. So how do you, how do you then, how do you bring this stuff up with someone in your life who, who is maybe acting in some of these ways? Like, let's say for instance, that uh, let's say there's a woman listening and her husband maybe checks like 90% of the boxes of not being a dick to your family section. So bringing this kind of stuff up with somebody else can be delicate, right? Because even like, as I was reading, I'm like, yeah. oh, I know somebody does this, does this, does this. And obviously yeah. I have to think of myself too and like the things that I'm doing. But let's just say that somebody's reading this or like somebody in their life is checks a lot of these boxes. Like how, how do you bring this stuff up with people that you know, you love, you even live with who are acting in some of these ways without completely putting them off and pouring gasoline on the fire? Yeah, I mean, it just it depends on your relationship um, mm-hmm. and and the dynamics of your relationship. Like, I have no idea how you and your wife talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I, uh, if people prob- if pre- people watched my wife and I interact, they would probably like think that we have some sort of terrible relationship. Like we <laughs> we flip each other off and we tell each other to fuck off, like as a joke, right? So sure. so the dynamic of our relationship is like pretty funny. Like we find each other hilarious. Um, so. If she's doing something, I'd just be like, hey, did you not read my book? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I have bookmarked it here for you. <laughs> I, book, I, have, I have like seven in there for you. Um, so it it just depends. And the, But the ones that are seriously that you have to be delicate on, you just better be delicate on. And I would, I would, you know, ask more questions than make accusations. And of course, you can always use the like, instead of you did this, say like, hey, when this happens, like I feel this, you know, yeah. so it's always good to to make I feel statements and that kind of um, lessens the accusatory tone because at the end of the day, like though we may feel like we just want to get one over on someone, the, at the end of the day, it's it the goal is to have better communication and to work and live together with people better. Um, so, like take the take the you you did this and mm-hmm. and, and 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 transform that into. Hey, when, when you don't put the toilet paper back, like, I feel like I feel annoyed that I have to walk across the house without getting shit on my underwear. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. Waddle like a penguin. <laughs> yeah. Like it's really awkward to have to go get the toilet paper when you don't remember to put it back. And I feel, I feel like my day would go a lot better if I didn't have to do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's good. I think I think asking more questions is the key because I think it's very easy yeah. to jump to the accusation of you did this yeah. as opposed to, you know, even even like help me understand why it is yeah. that I always see this happening or help me understand uh-huh. why it is that you respond in this way or it confuses me or whatever. Like I think when you when you approach it that way, anything, whether it be spiritual stuff or it be home stuff, whatever, I think right. it just it makes it much easier to talk from there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So last question for you is kind of the last section of the book. This is the part that really intrigued me the most about the online stuff. I think it's the maybe most relevant for, for a lot of people. And uh, one of the hot topics uh, kind of with the podcast listeners and a lot of questions I get is, you know, how do you deal with or manage the, the comment sections on social media pages? So obviously the, the section of the book deals with you not being a dick online. Uh, but my question for you is like, how do you deal with the people who are the dicks mm-hmm. online because i know that you get a lot of stuff on your social media pages but people who are listening that like they're not going to have like maybe thousands of of viewers and people coming across their stuff that they don't know but it's primarily family it's friends it's maybe ex-church yeah. friends things like that but like when someone comes on the page and just like just goes at it and they just want to 
show you all the reasons why you're wrong, all the reasons why you're going to hell, all the reasons why you're backslidden, things like that. What are some things that you've learned in your journey that could help people kind of manage those comment sections well in their own social media pages? Yeah, again, that one's going to depend on your interpersonal relationships. So mm -hmm. like you said, like, I mean, I, I hit like 50,000 page views on Patheos. The comment section there can turn into a dumpster fire. So I, I don't <laughs> like I, my policy is if it's toxic at all, I just delete it and block mm -hmm. the person. So mm -hmm. but like you said, someone someone dealing with their family can't really do that, you know, right. so it's it's a different dynamic. Um, it, it's it's tough. It, it seems that if you're with a family member or a church member or a former church member and you still want to have that relationship and they're social media is not the place to have that debate right good. um so if someone's coming at you and maybe it's a cousin or maybe it's your former bible study you know partner whatever you do right. um maybe just send them a personal message and be like hey i saw all your questions this seems like this seems like if we're going to actually get anywhere with that we should probably talk face to face mm -hmm. Because communication 80 percent of it is body language i think 70 to 80 percent is body language 10% is tone or 20% is tone, but the smallest percentage is the actual words you say. Right. So on social media, when you're typing something, you're only able to communicate like 10% of what you're actually saying. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, social media can be great for like sharing ideas as long as everyone's just doing so respectfully. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just, I personally don't tolerate any, anything, like, because the, the people who generally just come on to disagree, like, I only see them when they disagree. So I just don't. And then, and then I, you know, you get accused of, you know, wanting an echo chamber and this and that. And it's like, no, I just, I don't know all 7,000 of you. And <laughs> so it's, it seems like this, we don't have that relationship to disagree, right? Like, right. I think it, I think you have to have a level of respect to have a disagreeable conversation. Yeah. You know, like going back to how you disagree with your wife, like, you have to have a solid relationship to do that in front of your kids so that you, you know, so that you do, you are modeling the correct way to disagree. Yeah. Having empathy and compassion and respect for the other person as you exchange ideas that you don't see eye to eye on. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's key. And I think you have to think about, I had a friend not that long ago that said, you, you have to kind of decide if your page is going to be like a forum for discussion or if it's going to mm -hmm. be just a place where, you know, people can come and they can agree, be encouraged, whatever they could say they disagree, but move on from there. Like if it's going to mm -hmm. be a place where there's like, there's going to be active debate, there's going to be active conversation. You might have to set some ground rules, like things like that. But I yeah. think, yeah, I think it's, it's a hot, it's a difficult topic because I mean, I know I've, I've evolved and kind of how I've handled it in the beginning. I would just kind of try to answer every single person that came on just because I mm -hmm. was, I was in that very beginning phase of deconstructing, asking questions. And I just felt like I had to answer questions to learn how to better explain myself. But now I'm at this point where I can kind of tell right off the bat, like if somebody's just coming on there to argue and right. like, this is just not going to go anywhere if we engage. And right. so just kind of learning how to cut that off and move on uh, without yeah. having to block or things like that. It's just a, it's very touchy. It's very difficult. Yeah. And if someone's just like quoting Bible verses or, you know, I mean, we, <laughs> It's just if they're doing all that kind of stuff, yeah, you know, the kind of key phrases that people are going <laughs> to use if you know they're OK, this is not going to go anywhere where I want it to go. So it's it's just pretty simple. But like you said, I was the same way like yeah. when I first started out. I was like, boom, you're getting a paragraph here. And this person, you know, now it's like, I ain't got time for that, man. No, nothing. Yeah, I'm just move, move on, <laughs> move, move on. on. Right. especially like you said before if the person i know a lot of people who are who are listening have had this where the only people that come on and argue or they they, they never say anything positive on their page like it's yeah. i could post a picture of my kid and they never like it but right. as soon as i post something about like hell i'm gonna get right. a paragraph with the bible verses with kjv yeah. in parentheses you know uh -huh. and stuff like that and they're just gonna get hammered so i think yep. you just have to learn about what's worth your energy and and what's not 100 percent. yeah yeah Cool, man. Well, hey, we're just about out of time, but uh, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks to the listeners for listening. Definitely. So before you go, though, where can people best interact with you on the socials? Where, where, where are you at? Uh, well, if you go to allsetfree.com, mm -hmm. uh, there's a link to all my socials, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I, I am on Twitter. TikTok as, as well, but I don't do much on there. I don't... I don't really understand the value of it. Neither do yet, I. Yet. So, um, 
but yeah, uh, generally if, if yeah, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I don't know, my handles are at MJ underscore DiStefano. Cool. Well, I will look it all up and I'll put it all in the show notes. Well, that'd be wonderful. Thanks, man. Cool, man. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed in something fancy. Wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got a hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, going ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did this beat neat? Everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those motifs. Hey. Carolina Rose on freeze. Hey. Wishing I could fly to the keys. Hey. That will be more free. Hey. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got a hands up, ready for box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. King is giving a festival. I wish. King is giving a festival. I wish.